Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Jocelyn Connolly, Women's Health and Pelvic Floor Specialist. I'm excited to have this conversation with Jocelyn because she thinks differently than most pelvic floor therapists do. She understands we don't have pelvic floor issues just because of the pelvic floor, but also because of hormonal issues, muscle imbalances, fatigue, all sorts of other things that contribute to these same symptoms. Whether you are female or male, whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Jocelyn, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing really well. It's starting to cool off here in Arizona. So my spirits are a lot <laughs> different than say like three weeks ago. How are you doing? I am doing great. Um, yes, it is nice as cooling down as much fun as getting on the water in 115 degree weather is. It's nice to have an end in sight of it. Do you, how have you been to the water since the the mornings have gotten cooler? I haven't. I debated on going today and then I decided to go on my bike instead. (laughs) Do you think the water is going to be cold by now? It is a little bit colder. Um, I went, okay. So we attempted to go to Horseshoe Lake last weekend. Okay. I checked Friday morning and it was fine. The fire came Friday afternoon and they shut that road down. I didn't bother checking later. <laughs> I see. So we couldn't go there. Um, we ended up going to Tempe Town Lake, which is not the greatest place to go on the board, but we wanted to get on the water and it was a little bit chilly. Really? Um, so it's starting, like things are starting to cool off, but it's still not terrible. Yeah, my I've had a few patients that they're like, we can't get in the pool anymore and we're not happy about it. I do know no pools have gotten colder. I think my friends is down to like 75 degrees now. That's crazy how quickly, because it's not like it's getting that cold overnight. It's only dropping into the maybe high 60s. <laughs> but anyways. That water cools fast. So <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. You are a physical therapist in more of the women's health world. But what I absolutely love about you is one, you work with athletes, but two, you think differently and do things differently than most women's health pelvic floor therapists do. So I'm really excited to dive in today with you and just give people a different perspective to think about when it comes to treating those issues. And so I guess first off, just who are you and how did you get going into this realm of physical therapy? Um, Since it is a very... Once a different realm, it's just not one that a lot of therapists go. Right. Yeah. I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Well, I, you know, it's, I have a hard time calling myself a physical therapist because I feel like I am so different than what a traditional physical therapist does on their typical day to day. But I am by trade a physical therapist. I got my DPT like everyone else did. And my primary, primary focus is to help active women do the things what they love, whether that's exercise or play sports, 
without issues such as leaking urine, leaking gas, because that's definitely a thing as a from a mom when you're a mom. Uh, vaginal heaviness that's associated with things like pelvic organ prolapse and sexual health. But the tricky thing is a lot of people don't realize that leaking urine or pain or hip tightness and other things are related to their pelvic and abdominal health. So I have kind of taken a shift into more of a, I'm, I'm less, I still treat moms and I still treat people that already have life altering problems. However, I'm getting tired of fighting, not fighting, because I'm not actually fighting, but yeah, fighting for moms to care for themselves. So I'm shifting my focus to women that have not had kids yet and trying to educate them on if they want to have kids, what they should do even before getting pregnant. Like, Optimally, in a perfect situation, <clears throat> excuse me, perfect situation, these women are learning about their pelvic and abdominal health related to just their everyday life and how they approach exercise and sports, where they are today, so that when they are preparing to be pre- they could they could basically start working on common issues that turn out to be disasters during labor and delivery and then postpartum. And so what I, how I got into it was basically I've had every problem in under the sun starting from a young age. And I never knew those things were not normal. I had a feeling and I would mention them to my doctor, but doctors growing up, but they didn't know either. So they would just brush it off. And so I had issues with my periods. Like I was tough as an athlete. My ankle would be like the size of a softball and I would still be on the basketball court. I did not, it took me a lot to be taken. I didn't even know what physical therapy was until I blew out my knee right before my senior year in high school. So it wasn't like I was going to the athletic trainer or really a, a physical therapist. But what did take me out of sports was pelvic pain and issues that were diagnosed and treated as UTIs, but really weren't. And horrible cramps. Like I would be so nauseous and sick. I would be missing school. I would be, I would, I remember one soccer game. I was like, take me out of this game. He's like, no, you need to be more tough, my coach. And it really got, it really bothered me to the depths of my soul that my coaches didn't recognize that like my female problems were real problems. And then I tore my ACL on my period. I was just like the classic female that tore her ACL. So I fast forward, I'm, I'm this athlete in, or, or this, this person in college who planned my whole life to play collegiate sports. I mean, my, the amount of time and money that my, some of my parents spent traveling all over the East for basketball or soccer for my career to end. So suddenly I entered college as this like lost, I didn't know who I was. So I was trying to restore an identity of some sort as an athlete. So I started running uh, and then I was training for a marathon and I was leaking a little bit during my training. And then when I, I mean, I was training like a, a jerk, like a dummy, 
drinking and then being still drunk from the night before in training, running 13 miles. And then one of my, my training partners, she was not running the marathon with me, but she's like, oh yeah, I'll run. She ran in the high school and I'm like, you're nuts, but yes, run with me. She's like, let's do 17. So we did a run, our, we went from 13 to 17. And after that 17 mile run, I mean, I could barely run, my knee hurt so bad. So I pushed through it until I got my 20 miler in and then I didn't run for a month. Ran the marathon and at mile 13, it's not like I hit a wall. It's like a wall, like both sides caved in on me. And I, I mean, there, it was that hard of a hit. <laughs> and I peed continuously anytime I put something in my body. Like water did not stay through. Like my body was, now that I know, it was in crazy trauma state, like trying to get me to stop because my body was not, I lost my training adaptations. And I just remember crying to my sister. I was like, Courtney, I can't stop peeing. And we didn't know what it was, but I remember I'm like, thank God I wore the black Nike capris and not the the gray ones that I bought for our outfits. I don't know why I changed my mind at last minute, but I did. And it was around that time, just before that, I had a, uh, a pretty traumatic thing happen. And after that traumatic event happened, it was like I could have sex and then suddenly I couldn't have sex. So at the time, I didn't know the sexual dysfunction and the urinary leakage and all the period problems were connected in some way. And I didn't know that my ACL injury was also connected to women, my women's health uh, profile, I would say. But then I decided to change my major from engineering to physical therapy because it was the only thing that, that really needed calc-based physics for grad school. And I was like, okay, I really loved my physical therapist. He told me not to go into physical therapy, but he changed my life. And I feel like I have a purpose here. So fast forward, I was in the best, I mean, best kinesiology program I could ever ask for. First, first upper level, like 400 level class was women's physiology. They basically was like answering every question that I had regarding the medical system. Like, that was my first exposure to a female athlete triad at the time, but it's called relative energy, energy deficiency syndrome now, which is a key part of my focus as a physical therapist because first day, I, I am so confident in my clinical skills. Like I know for the most part, I'm like, if this is your problem, you will get better in this amount of time. But if these components are playing a role here, you won't get, you may not get better at all. You might get worse or your progress will be much slower. So I was sitting in class, Mary Jane D'Souza, if you ever look into the literature, she's, her name's on a lot of it. She was this crazy lady and I loved her. Like nut, nut, it's total nut, but I could relate to that. And she would say, yeah, the gynecologist don't know about this. And clearly they didn't because of the communication that I received. Hey, I'm, my period's really irregular. I won't get it for some several months. What's the fix? Birth control. 
It's not a fix. It's a band-aid. And so that actually probably fed into a lot of problems down the road, not only for me, but for a lot of women out there. And so uh, I remember sitting there and she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm thinking, and I was sitting there, I'm like, I'm not sure, but I think I want to go into women's health. This was after uh, I had been a tech and I had exposure to some women's health uh, specialties, but I didn't know what I was really in for until I actually was in PT school. And Tracy Spitznagel, who's uh, one of the women's health physical therapists and faculty at the school I attended, she's like, yeah, you have to exam you have to go through training and you learn how to examine the musculoskeletal system neuromuscular system internally through the vagina through the anus and then you have to be the patient and i'm like oh hell no absolutely not no one's going down here i had vowed to only go to the gynecologist the least amount of times possible because they were so traumatic both mentally and physically and so uh I kind of was, I mean, I was so hardheaded and so like numb from trauma that I wasn't willing to just like listen to anything. So I remember stating to myself, look, when you're ready, you'll go do that because you're meant to be in this field, this field. So in the meantime, I had just immersed myself in everything I could, pelvic floor, women's physiology. And I mean, I probably read research, textbooks, whatever I could get my hands on from cover to cover multiple times because I was obsessed. I'm like, well, this sucks. Like I'm such a wimp that I won't just like show my vagina to the world, but whatever. Uh, but I was forced eventually. So my second clinical rotation, I was a second year physical therapy student or beginning, beginning my second year. And I had a, was in Iowa it was a freak thing how I ended up there, but there was a women's health physical therapist at the rotation that I was completing and she was just awesome. And then of course I fall in love with my blind roommate and I'm like, I have to take care of this. So this physical therapist, the first person who like treated me like a human, uh, help, did an exam and the rest is history. And from the, that point forward, I was like, I'm not going to practice like your traditional provider because I mean, I knew the things that were literally holding me back in life in so many ways, like for sexual health, athletics, exercise. And so when I treat people Sometimes I can pick up really early whether they're ready for a physical therapist or not. And most of the time they're not. So I have kind of pulled, yes, I'm a physical therapist, but I've pulled back in that role and I'd rather be their coach initially and get them so far, give them the, indirectly give them the answers so that they can find the answers themselves. And then when they're ready, they know I'm there. And so me being an athlete and me only knowing, you know, discipline and betterment, I really enjoy working with athletes that have that same mentality. But at that same time, there's a lot of like barriers to help them get by. Like 
traumas that they've had. A lot of athletes, I mean, you see, I don't know if you saw on Netflix, that gymnastics documentary on the creep from Michigan. Boo, Michigan. I haven't watched it yet. (laughs) And so I remember I interviewed for my podcast, one of the, she's ranked number one CrossFit athlete in the U.S. I forget her name. Carrie, Carrie Pierce. And before the interview, I asked her if she'd be willing to talk about her experiences with anything pelvic health related, any issues that she may have had. And she said she wouldn't be comfortable even talking like anything about it. So there, who knows, like I'm lucky as an athlete, nothing has ever weird has ever happened to me from any of my coaches or anything like that, but that does happen. And so that's my mission. Uh, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse, but I have a really good sense of energies with people as my patients or as my athletes that I work with. And I know when I can like tiptoe and ask questions and I know when I can't. And so uh, it's, it's really hard because with, with the people that I know that are really hurting, they may not even know that they're hurting, but I can feel it. And then down the road, they'll tell me and I'm like, so I've had to change my business model, my business like approach so that I don't carry that unspoken pain with me whenever I'm not working. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. (laughs) But yeah, so a lot of pelvic floor physical therapists focus a lot on the pelvic floor. Basically what that means is potentially they're getting their patients to do kegels, work with things that like, uh, there's an increase in ad campaign on this one, perifit, uh, the different pelvic floor trainers, or techniques like myofascial release, but do not address the actual functional component. And so I sometimes, I mean, I cringe sometimes to hear what are the, what are the things that people have worked on with other physical therapists, because I'm like, this isn't, this isn't good rehab. This isn't good direction. And, uh, but I am learning like a lot of times you, you, I can't, I have to clear out a lot of crap down there sometimes or a lot of restrictions in the abdominal wall before I can help them perform. But it's that determining what, when you have to focus on function versus those specific areas is, is I would say the art of it. So when we're talking about the function and those things that are causing it, um, like what are those other underlying things that can happen to the body that, that cause all of these issues that are not pelvic floor related? Okay. So the question is, uh, what are some things that are not pelvic floor that related that can create issues that manifest as pelvic health problems? Yes. Okay. Uh, co- so I mentioned the female athlete triad or re- relative energy deficiency syndrome. That is one of my particular interests per- because I work with athletes in more type A type personalities. They're on top of their macros. They're on top of, or they, they care about their, what they look like. And that's all fine. But let's say if they're not meeting 
their energy demands and the big picture of how much their body's actually burning. Well, their hormone system can be impacted. And I'm not going to get too detailed on that, but basically they can develop a problem like urinary leakage with urgency, like that, oh, I got to pee. And if I don't get to the bathroom, I'm going to leak. So if they see like certain things that trigger like that urge and they leak, but it's not a muscular problem there. It's just manifesting as leakage and potentially pelvic floor problem. Then that that's one example. Well, I see that in athletes pretty often and I have to make, you know, I've realized now more often than not, yes, there is pelvic floor restrictions, but it's more so the hormonal problem. That's one example. The other example is, I mean, this is kind of a pelvic floor problem, but also people don't realize it is, is like sexual dysfunction. And that could be, you know, just, I hate even saying, do you have pain with intercourse? Because people will not say yes most times. I would say 25%. And I do my exam and I'm thinking in my head, how the hell can you even have sex? This is not this is not okay in here. But then I realize, okay, like the actual, if you're having penile vaginal penetration, the penis doesn't hit a lot of these tissues that I'm examining. So, but still, uh, that's one manifestation. Uh, peeing every 30 minutes, you know, could be restrictions in the abdominal wall and not necessarily the pelvic floor. It could be a spinal problem. Uh, and then the way people are lifting, like it may not be a pelvic floor problem, it's just a behavioral problem and how they're bracing their abdominals and their core. And we just have to tweak a few things and that makes a huge difference. So is it a pelvic floor problem? No. So if you go see a physical therapist that specializes in the pelvic floor and they just focus on the pelvic floor, that's not going to fix the problem. Or the way that they're running, their landing pattern or jumping. Oftentimes, you know, if it's not a mom or the mom doesn't just immediately try to lose weight after they have the baby and skip all the fundamentals and just go to hit class. I mean, usually that uh, is a different scenario than say if you or I had leakage with jumping or running. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And it gives me the direction that I want to dive into next, which is if it's not a pelvic floor, if we're having leakage, if an athlete's having leakage with heavy lifts, jumping, running, things like that, and it's not a pelvic floor issue, what issues or what could be going on with breathing patterns, bracing issues, lack of bracing, like what's going on with the body in those situations? So number one, well, let's, let's first get the big ones out. Uh, hormonally or genetically, some people just have less, they have more flexible connective tissue. So let's say I have an athlete that is more, if you have a hypermobility scale or mobility scale and the middle is, you know, middle of the road and the right is hypermobile, left is hypomobile, let's say they're closer to the right side. Well, let's say this athlete, I'm going to just pretend it's me, 125 pounds and I'm going for a snatch that is 135 pounds. Well, connective tissue wise, or bracing wise, I am going to have to have some breast support. 
Now, when I go to brace, no matter what, an increase of, uh, of intra-abdominal pressure is going to press that, the, the part of the urethra against my pubic bone. Now, if I have too much mobility in my urethra because of my connective tissue, and let's say there's a little urine left over or there's a little urine in my bladder, I could leak there. And there's nothing inherently wrong with my brace or whatever. But maybe my connective tissue that day, that in my cycle, it's just a little more, there's a little more give that day. So the pattern there with people with hypermobility, it, you would see some fluctuation. It shouldn't be every time that you are lifting, but it could be like, okay, I'm closer to my, uh, ovulation period, higher estrogen, or depending on where my estrogen is. Yes. Higher, right before ovulation, estrogen's high. That could lead to leakage. Uterus is a different size depending on what time of the month that can play a role. So all those things play a role. Let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes. You know I love being barefoot. I am barefoot as much as possible. But when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when zero shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were meant made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last. They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty, meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes. And they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. You can go check them out at zero shoes. That's spelled X E R O shoes.com slash go slash get your fix PT. And you can find all of my partnerships at get your fix slash partners. And now back to our conversation. Now let's talk about bracing. Let's ignore the big hormonal or connective tissue thing. I don't think we, we realize how much variability in the ways we can use our core and breathe actually exist. So I was recording a breath, uh, a breathing sequence for women preparing to get pregnant today. And here I am working on abdo active abdominal lengthening with exhalation. And I am literally like so fatigued, like in a two minute bout, even on in a supine position. Cause I never did this, but a lot of people have one bracing strategy and they don't even know what it is. It's just their default. Like it's like, they take a big breath, they close off their throat and they go for the lift. And so sometimes depending on that person's structure, their pelvic floor might be the most flexible part of the system. So where does all the pressure go? It goes down. So in that case, not only do we work on their bracing technique, but we also work on, yeah, we work on their bracing technique to kind of distribute the pressure elsewhere. You have some people that don't, they're not going to blow a disc. 
they're not going to go into a, a, a severe spinal extension. That's just not their structure. So we can get force pressure into those areas and let offload the pelvic floor a little bit. And we do that with different areas of focus. Like we literally have to train to breathe into that area of our body in addition to changing the way we brace our core a little bit. So it's, it's recognizing that sometimes where we are in our cycle and how our connective tissue is functioning, that could lead to leakage. But then on a different note, it could be that you, a woman just has one bracing strategy and they're always going into their path of least resistance. Did that answer your question? It did. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, it's so true. Like people don't think about how they breathe. Uh, like there's so many people who just shallow breathe. Um, actually, I just had a client text me the other day. He's like, I realize I'm not using my diaphragm, so I'm going to start changing up what I'm doing using my diaphragm. And so it's just, we just kind of do this thing that keeps us alive, but we don't really think about what we're actually doing with our breath in the process of that. And, and that really plays into how we are bracing. And can you agree that people kind of roll their eyes whenever they hear, well, you have to just breathe. And that's so frustrating, but I think we've taken that statement for granted because a lot of providers will say, well, you just need to breathe, but they don't know how to breathe themselves and they're not practicing what they preach. Yeah. So yeah, I, but I I do see some resist. Well, not, not really anymore. I think people, when they see me for the most part, they know what they're getting themselves into. Uh, but like if I'm covered for someone that doesn't know who my, my treatment philosophy or my approach, they're like, uh, what do I need to breathe? (laughs) It's just, it's so frustrating (laughs) (laughs) because Because we survive literally. And I said in the video today, I was like, uh, you breathing is a privilege. Breathing is literally a privilege and people will think that they deserve air. Well, not with that attitude of just like, I don't need to breathe kind of attitude. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, uh, like every time I ask someone to breathe, take a deep breath, they open their mouth and I just want to smack their chin closed (laughs) and then they elevate their shoulders. I'm like, what are you doing? You look crazy. Depends on the person. I don't always say that, but... (laughs) It's so true though. Like people just don't know how to use their diaphragm. It's just all accessory breathing, which goes back to the parasympathetic sympathetic system too, as far as like what relaxes, what, what, what relaxes our body and what gets it going. And if we don't know how to breathe with our diaphragm, like we can never calm our body down either. Right. So I'm writing a book, right? Well, I have a couple books in the motion in, in the works, but one has to be done before the second one's done. And it is basically describing how foundations of health before I lead into the pelvic health and why people need to pay attention to their sexual health. And then, and I'm ma- doing analogy of like structure of a business and how the human physiology works. A lot of my patients are all like, I'm, I have adrenal fatigue. They don't even know what they're talking, saying right then. But I'm like, okay, it's great to hear people actually using that language because the adrenals, our adrenal glands make epinephrine, norepinephrine, 
cortisol. And I mean, our hormones are, are so very much in control of everything. And if we're always stuck in this high level of cortisol state, fight or flight, like muscle growth goes down, bone health goes down, digestion, everything. So this, this elevated breathing just makes me crazy. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> what has happening? So we covered lifting. Let's go to running since obviously a lot of the listeners are runners in some aspect. When we're running, we're getting leaking. Like, is it a breathing issue? Is it a lack of bracing? Is it a weakness somewhere? Like what's going on there? First question that I ask people who come to see me for leakage with running is when does the leakage occur? So if the leakage occurs instantly, that is a red flag for absolute problem with the pelvic floor support system, whether that's the muscles itself or the suspensory system that supports the bladder neck, but that's not a good sign. Now let's say leakage comes on into five minutes or yeah, five minutes, 10 minutes. That's typically a, it's not a breathing problem at that point because five minutes, unless they're running way too fast, but that still is too quick. And that is suggestive of a, of a lack of endurance in the core system somewhere. It could be something else that's resulting in increased demand of the pelvic floor because let's say they're glute med or somewhere else is just weak, not doing their job. So more forces is placed on the pelvic floor. Let's say if it happens at 30 minutes, what I like to do in that case is actually run with the person or have them run in the clinic for 25 run until they start to be symptomatic so that I could then view their mechanics and as they break down. And what typically happens there is they go into this forward head posture. They're like shoulder blades are tilted anteriorly. Their strike patterns different in their level of hip, hip control, like from a hip flexion, like how they're pulling their leg through swing and how they're landing chain. It changes. So even then, is it a pelvic floor problem? Yes, in that the pelvic floor is being asked to do a lot more than it really should be doing at that point because other areas are breaking down, whether it's breathing or not. But typically, if it's someone that is not, that is trained to run and they're not leaking and it's little and it's not until like 20, 30 minutes in or later on in the run, not a pelvic floor problem. Early, yes. And the problem that I see with moms is they don't build a foundation to prepare, like in preparation to run. They just go run. And that's where they start to develop like these, they don't even have symptoms, Brianne, but they, they, it all eventually comes crashing down. And then they're like knee pain foot pain, plantar fasciitis, back pain, literally everything. And I'm like, you ignored this stuff for this long. So now your main symptom is leaking, but that probably wasn't the main thing early on. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And even your explanation, just because 
since I do so much with running technique and I see those injuries happen at that certain point that everything else is fatiguing down, it makes total sense to me that that pelvic floor would have issues at that point too. Yeah. And a lot of people will reach out to me if like therapists are like, I have this patient that's leaking. What do I do? And I'm like, when are they leaking? And typically it's not till later on. I'm like, make them better runners. Yes. If they've had children, any trauma, any type A kind of characteristics, I would say very helpful for every human being, including men, to have a pelvic floor exam because we have no brain map of that area. So there's no, there's, it's really hard to work the deep system effectively until you have that like awakening of it. But overall, it's like, don't worry about the leakage right now. Like worry about the fact that that her right knee is caving in every time. Is it a foot problem or is it a hip problem? Fix that first. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then with jumping, so jump rope, box jumps, those sorts of things, similar to running or is it different problems going on there? So box jumps a little different than like jump rope, whether single under double under, uh, because you have forward progression of the box jump. So, so when you have that forward progression of a box jump or running, it's kind of like walking on your hands. It's easier to walk on your hands than it is to stay in a handstand, like a not fall. So you can kind of manipulate the forces in such a way that you are less likely to see leakage in a box jump than you are say in a jump rope. Why is jump rope different? Well, you are stressing the same muscles over and over again. And the line of force is the same every time. So what I see, I, I do, I do see people leaking during box jumps and same question I have is like, when do you start leaking? Is it immediate or is it later on? This later on is typically a fatigue factor. And a lot of women are not using their posterior chain. They're using their hip flexors. So when they use their hip flexors, they're going to get a little bit more of a tensile force or force or pull on the, the front of the, like the urinary system and pelvic floor. And it's just really fatiguing. Uh, with double unders, same thing. If your biggest thing, soaking yourself is a big problem. Like that is, you shouldn't be wetting the gym floor, which women do which blows my mind, little leakage later on, I'm guilty. And I go into workouts knowing when it's appropriate versus when, I, when, I, when I'm okay with it. Well, I'm never okay with it, but whenever I just let it happen because I, I'm going to cross that threshold versus recognize the threshold. The problem is a lot of women don't know and don't respect their threshold. They go, they redline the workout. So they do a salt bike, then they do 10 heavy front squats or deadlifts, and then they go and do double unders. And then at like five to 10 or 15, wherever they are, they start leaking. It's just their system's gassed. And then technique is huge. So all the women that are doing tuck jumps for, for, uh, if they're doing tuck jumps instead of staying in triple extension when they are in the air. I don't feel bad for your leakage because 
it's not a pelvic floor problem there. It is a, a, uh, a, a coordination problem. But, Brienne, it could be a pelvic floor problem in that they can't, their deep system is jacked. They can't access their deep system. So it could be a pelvic floor problem. But, uh, and that's if we can't fix their mechanics. Awesome. <clears throat> and then last thing I do want to cover tonight is returning to working out after you've had a baby. We've both seen people return way too soon, doing things way too early, not building back up. So both natural and C-section, I would love to not only give a timeline, but like how do we return properly to working out again? Okay. I'll try to do this again, not too long of an answer. Let's start with C-section first. C-section is a major, major surgery. So... I would say that running is not in the cards until like for most human beings till like four to six months, like going on a long run, not until then. Like that is in this, the reason why is because we have the uterine scar that needs healed. So women, ladies that want to have a V-back after a C-section, Listen to me whenever I give you recommendations. If you want to have a safe VBAC, the biggest risk is the, the scar or the uterine scar to rupture. If that scar doesn't heal well because you didn't give your body a chance to heal, VBACs is not in the cards. So that's just my first like wake up call. A lot of women don't realize that too much activity too quick impacts overall inflammatory response potentially in the pelvic cavity, uterus, pelvic floor, digestive tract, all of that stuff that was impacted during the C-section. I know that sounds crazy because like, hey, I felt okay after six, eight weeks. It's if you know anyone that had a knee surgery that wasn't allowed to run for three months or had a major back, I don't even want to say back surgery, but <laughs> knee surgery, rotator cuff repair, ask them if they had good rehab, what it was like what, being on restrictions to go back. For whatever reason, women are just left to their own regards to get back. And that is just so harmful because women feel good. Just like I felt good about two months after my ACL repair. And I'm so grateful that my physical therapist literally just was like, look, just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. You want your, you'll be able to do so much more in the long run. It's the same thing for women. So C-section, going on a long run or getting back to the same amount of weight where you were like Silicea or weightlifter, you got to give yourself minimum of six months. That doesn't mean you can't do anything. It's just, I would personally, I'm not going to do CrossFit while I'm pregnant and I'm not going to do CrossFit or be in a CrossFit gym six months postpartum because I'm so com like, I have such competitive energy that like, I know what's best for my body and it's harder whenever I, I'm around that competitive space. So I'm just going to put it, put it that. Now, the vaginal delivery, this is very individual based. 
I have seen women that completely blew my mind. Like, did you even have a baby? Tissue feels so amazing. Their movement control as well is really well controlled. And so after, you know, eight weeks, I am like, I teach them how to, to use their body and give them baselines and targets and say, you just listen. No, I don't say listen to your body, but here's how you progress. And then just gradually progress, keep in contact with me and, um, go by mechanics. And if you can pace your breathing for the first like three months and then really spend time with educating on like, why do you need to sprint the first three months? Or why do you need to do Fran in the first three months? Stay in that breathing zone. And uh, new people, it, it, new moms that want to get to activity, they're going to take longer. So six months plus. Doesn't mean they can't do stuff. It's just they got to take their time. And it really does take 18 months for the body to heal after having kids. So those moms that have babies, like have had a baby and then they're back pregnant, like six months. I'm like, I can't even believe it. But yeah, that's an opinion, but also backed by medical knowledge. (laughs) Awesome, Jocelyn. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this great information. I found it super helpful and I think a lot of other people will as well. If nothing else, just be able to relate to your story. Just because so many people go through these issues and are brushed off or just assume they're normal. Um, so I think it's good for people to understand like these things are not normal and there are things that can be done for it. So if someone has more questions, where can they find you? So I am mostly on Instagram and Facebook. I'm kind of taking a sabbatical. I haven't announced it yet, but, uh, um, just, it's a short sabbatical from social media, uh, until I have a little bit more space to kind of launch my new direction and write these books that need to be finished. But I am at, on Instagram at the dot vagina doc. And then I'm on Facebook. I'm more active on my Facebook group, which is the pelvic, pelvic health education for female athletes and active women. And you can send me a message. I'm most accessible through Instagram than Facebook. Facebook, I get things get lost really quick. Sometimes Instagram does, but I'm pretty good on there. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jocelyn. Thank you for having me. And before I close out today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the foot and ankle fix for runners. Foot and ankle pain is such a common injury with runners, and yet it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bothering you constantly. It doesn't have to be shutting you down from being able to run. But many times it does because we don't do the right things for it. That is why I created the foot and ankle fix for runners. It's an online program that'll give you the right things to do in order to resolve your foot and ankle issues once and for all and let you really get back to training like you want to. So if you're interested in checking out the foot and ankle fix for runners, head over to getyourfixpt.com courses and you can see a link for the foot and ankle fix for runners as well as all of my other online programs. 
Thank you again so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.